Hello, Latin Poetry Podcast is back after a very extended hiatus. I have decided to uh, invite my wife, Ashley, in as a co-host, and she graciously agreed. Uh, this is a little bit less self-serving than it sounds. She's an, a superb Latinist. Uh, I, she tells me that she would not marry me until she was sure that I had sufficient Latin uh, to rise to her standards. She's a veteran Latin teacher at the high school level here in Pennsylvania where we live. And um, second reason is I really like uh, two-person podcasts. Uh, in my own podcast listening, I've just really, uh, I, I prefer them to single person. She adds so much really interesting perspectives. Not only is she a, um, a terrific Latin teacher, but she is now full-time a horse trainer. And she's had lots of great stories related to that. And so uh, it's just, I think, a lot more fun with the two of us. I hope you'll agree. Uh, please leave us some suggestions on the Facebook page for Latin Poetry Podcast. Uh, Ashley's got lots of great passages she wants to bring in, and um, we'll read them together and hope you enjoy it as much as we do. All right, uh, so today's episode is about mules. Ashley has lots of expertise in that area, and uh, we, I think you'll, uh, if you like late antique poetry and Claudian, you'll really enjoy this one. So um, here it goes, and thanks for listening. Hi there, it's Chris Franchese. And Ashley Roman Franchese. And we're here with an episode of the Latin Poetry Podcast, which is a series of uh, short passages read and discussed uh, and recited in Latin and translated. So here we go. We got a poem today about mules. Uh, I love it when Latin poetry has uh, uses its its you know, beautiful architecture of gorgeous vowels and consonants to discuss kind of humble everyday items. Uh, like mules, so uh, this um, is... I don't think you should let a mule <laughs> catch you calling him humbler every day. Oh, okay, he would bite you. All right, all right, all right. They like... are not beasts that like to be talked down to. All right, so so this... <laughs> well, we're going to have some differences of opinion about this poem, I think. Uh, yeah. So we'll see. the The author is uh, the Latin poet Claudian, who lived from around 370 A.D. to 404. He was um, a Greek originally from Alexandria, but he learned Latin apparently as a second language, and became one of the greatest of Latin poets of that era. He was associated with uh, the Emperor Honorius, based in Milan, and especially with the general Stilicho, court um, poet essentially. And his main patron was uh, a woman named Serena, the who was Stilicho's wife. So he's the author of um, a wide variety of works known for his really polished style. Uh, all right, so the the poem here is about a group of uh, mules that he witnessed in France along the Rhone River. Uh, the, the Rhone exits Lake Geneva and travels south through uh, the south of France, past Lyon and Avignon and Arles, and thence into the Mediterranean. And apparently Claudian uh, visited this area and saw some amazing mules. So what, what were these mules doing? Well, according to Claudia, <laughs> these mules are capable of turning one way or the other without a uh, leader, without um, reins, without any sort of a yoke, and all they require is the voice of their master to make them go left or right. Basically, these are like border collie mules. <laughs> right. 
Right, and I gather you're rather skeptical about the possibility of this. Yes. So I, in my professional life, am a horse trainer. And if you know anything about mules, you know that they can be a little bit stubborn sometimes and that they can make fools of even the best horse trainer because they're very intelligent. Start by saying, what is a mule exactly? Oh, okay. So a mule is a hybrid animal that is half horse and half donkey. And there's technically mules and hinnies, depending on which parent is the horse and which parent is the donkey. But basically, it's part a donkey and part a horse. Very long ears, traditionally, um, kind of a shorter, flatter back than a normal horse, and more of an upright neck, what's called a eunuch. Got it. Okay. And it's famously stubborn. Yeah, I mean, like, famously negatively stubborn, but they're not necessarily stubborn so much as extremely intelligent and willing to make a fool out of a trainer who doesn't understand them. And you had a mule as a girl, right? I did. I uh, My dad wanted me to be cool rather than having a pony, so I had a cantankerous 30-year-old mule named Jumper to teach me how to ride who used to step on the heads of snakes. And then my dad would <laughs> put the snakes that were dead with their flattened heads in my mom's bed. That was charming. Yeah. That's how marriage works. It's right, good. right. That's a, that's a strong relationship that can yep. survive that. Yep. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get to the uh, translation of this. I, What I want you to listen for when I we get to the Latin is the um, Claudian's penchant for golden lines. In, in Latin poetry, every noun has an adjective to go with it, typically. And uh, it feels naked without it. So they'll, the the art of the poetry is often the interweaving of these adjectives and nouns in a kind of um, ornamental, balanced style. And Claudian is really the master. He's, he's he takes after Ovid in a large to a large degree. Is very smooth and fast, but almost even smoother and faster than Ovid. Um, and you're going to listen also for the um, the mythological illusion at mm-hmm. the end. Claudian loved mythology and wrote some mythological poetry as well, and he never let you go without a little bit of elevation through um, through mythology. All right, so here's the uh, English translation, and then after that, I will read the Latin for you. Hope you enjoy. Behold, the compliant daughters of the rushing Rhone interwoven by command, and made to wander by command. See how they turn in various directions in response to various spoken commands, and how the ruling voice directs them down fixed paths. Although each goes on its way without reins, and its neck is free from the harsh yoke, still it serves, serwit, as if bound and works hard, listening to barbaric sounds with a docile ear. And these are the, the barbaric you know, shouts of these Gallic herdsmen. The far-off instructions of their absent master have their effect. And a man's tongue serves as bridle and harness. This collects them when scattered, and scatters them when collected. This stops them as they run, and makes them pick up speed. Does he order left? They step to the left. As he changed his cry, they head to the right. Unchained slaves, but not defiant in their freedom. They have shaken off the halter, but remain under control. With synchronized gait, their shaggy coats, tawny, they harmoniously pull the noisy carts. 
Are you surprised that Orpheus tamed wild beasts with his voice, when Gallic words rule downward-looking beasts? Okay, here is the Latin. Aspica morigeras rodani torrentis alumnas, imperio nexas, imperioque vagas. Dissona quam varios flectant ad murmura cursus, et certas adeant voce regente vias. Quam vis quaeque sibi nullis discurrat habenis, et pateant duro libera colla jugo. Ceu constricta tamen servit patiensque laborum, barbaricos docili concipit aure sonos, absentis longinqua valent, praecepta magistri, frenorumque vicem, lingua virilis agit. Haec procul angustat sparsas spargitque coactas, haec sistit rapidas, haec properare facit. Laiva iubet? Laivo deduncunt limite gressum. Mutavit strepitum? Dexteriora petunt. Nec winclis famulae, nec libertate feroces, exutae laqueis, sub dicione tamen. In quesuque pares, et fuluis pellibus hirtae, esseda concordes, multisonora trahunt. Miraris, si voce feras pacaveret Orpheus, cum pronas pecudes gallica verba regant? So I know that you're taking this very seriously and very like, oh, this is what he saw when he was on the road. And so, of course, it's got to be, you know, totally serious. But I actually think this might be a joke. Like, he's saying, oh, look at these mules, and they turn left when their owner tells them to turn left, and they turn right when their owner tells them to turn right. But again, if you know mules, they're not necessarily like that. So maybe a good herdsman could be watching his mules and could tell what his mule was going to do before it did it, and then could make it seem like he was very talented in telling the mules what to do by saying, you know, when the mule has already slightly leaned left, oh, go left, and then the mule goes left. And it makes so do, you, do you, really think, maybe, you think maybe like the trainers put one over on Claudian. He was yeah. like this visiting guy from Rome. It's like, hey, let's let's show him, you know, the, show him the trick we do. Yeah, like when you're in another country and you, you know, <laughs> take your silly kind of naive students, like the girl I had who was very sweet and didn't really understand what, you know, islands were, things like that. And the tour guide and I convinced her that in Italy they don't have trains, they have donkeys with jetpacks. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. it's like times like that where you just <laughs> yeah, take the American and you make fun of them. That would be the modern bit. equivalent of yeah. this poem. Well, I did a little bit of research to try and rebut this idea that Claudine is just making it all up or, or has been hoodwinked. And there, there's an old commentary by a French scholar named Nicolas Artaud, and he worked at... Uh, a prestigious preparatory school in Paris. And he has the following note. He says, 
he, he did an edition of all Claudia's works. And he, said, he says Bart, who is the German writer and scholar uh, who edited Claudia in, in 1650, Bart cites his own experience here as if competing with a poet and says that he, Bart, saw herds of mules on the shores of the Rhone. Now, this is Artaud talking. Can I then remain silent about the huge number of mules, most of them splendidly equipped, used no doubt to carry the furniture of French princes, which I have seen these last two years from my window in Paris, in the French Quarter, uh, in, the, uh, in the student, student um, neighborhood, roused by the sound of bells, which they have suspended. Why, why do they need the bells on the mules if they know where they are at all times? Well, that's to alert pedestrians. Mm-hmm. But if the herdsmen know where the mules are at all times, why put a bell? Like, why do you put a bell on your cat? I'm just like, maybe ancient mules were more docile than you give them credit for. Maybe they had, maybe the trainers were better. Maybe the trainers were, were better. The other little, little tidbit I got from my uh, uh, research on this is from a, a book by another Frenchman named Rumor in the 19th century. And he talks about the cries uh, that are used to drive unbitted animals, especially oxen in France in the 19th century. And it was dia, mm -hmm. ya, ha, aha. And he says that dia is still a Breton term and used all over France for the same purpose. Yeah. So would you, would you ever do horses that way? With like just with like voice with commands? Voice commands and un, unbitted? You can. There's liberty work that does that. And, uh, and you can do that with oxen and with cows. A lot of times when people are working beef cows, They'll, if you go to move a cow, it sounds so stupid, but you say, hey, cow, hey, cow, and the cow will move. So, like, that's an unbitted animal. Yeah. You look at a mule and you say, hey, mule, and the mule's going to, like, raise his middle finger to you. Like, it's just, yeah. they're a little bit different than, like, certain other animals. I mean, they might move, but most of the time it's probably going to be because it was their own idea anyway. I mean, the other thing that's going on in this poem is a kind of um, play of, of the paradox of slavery, of willing, yeah. of willing slavery. And that's... Yeah. You, it doesn't take too much imagination to sort of project this onto human slaves mm -hmm. um, in a way that a lot of um, Latin poetry that's about slavery has this, this sort of fantasy of um, slavery as being kind of consensual in a weird way. Yeah. And um, the, the, it's, it's seen as bizarre, but it, almost like a fantasy where you could have slaves who would, who would just do your bidding without having to be restrained at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think this is a fantasy world in which yeah. mules are willing to do your bidding without being restrained at all. Yeah, yeah. And then he brings in Orpheus at the end. Uh, why do you think Orpheus uh, is is his go-to for the mythology? I guess because it's it's the the power of the human voice is what's being yeah to control something the magic of the human voice uh, in its most extreme. Uh, is, yeah, and it's trying to say, you know, why would you, okay, so why would you think Orpheus is so great when even these random Gallic mule herders are capable yeah. of herding their mules in this way? But if they can actually herd their mules in that way, that's freaking impressive if yeah, you know what right. you think about it mules. Is. So it, it lifts is. up yeah. Orpheus, actually. If you admit it's true, it's, yeah. it's a, he beat or, they beat Orpheus. They do. And, and he plays on the, the kind of, uh, barbarism of these shepherds, like in his view, and being the fancy court, you know, highly literate poet, these mule drivers are a very rough 
people, but their the magic of their voice is somehow equal even to the great poetry of Orpheus. Um, yeah. it's, it's really nice, a nice sort of piquant contrast and, and paradox. Cool. All right. So that's a uh, that's an unusual poem. I hope you guys enjoyed <laughs> that, and uh, we'll be back with more next week. And uh, hope to see you soon. Bye bye. <laughs>